When you think of the word storm, what comes to mind? Rainstorm, snowstorm, windstorm, dust storm, frigid cold, searing heat. What comes to mind? There are many other kinds of storms. Those are just meteorological storms. Financial crisis can be a storm, a traffic accident, political corruption, ill health, a divorce, a death. None of us are immune from those kinds of dark and undesirable places to be. One author confessed, I've had an unhappy life, thank God. Oh, he's on to something. The storms that we have in our life are rarely happy, rarely. Oh, those are unhappy situations. But thankful and blessed is that man who knows God and can be thankful in those kind of storm situations. Why? Because everyone who is a genuine believer in Christ, everyone who is authentically saved, a, a true Christian, every one of those people have a guided tour through the storm. In his famed book, um, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin wrote this, listen. We may patiently pass through this life with its storms, misery, hunger, cold, contempt, reproaches, and other troubles. Content with this one thing, that our king will never leave us destitute, but will provide for our needs until our warfare ended, we are called to triumph. Such is the nature of his rule, and he shares with us all that he has received from the Father. As a young teenager, a new believer, my family was a mess. It crumbled. And there was no other verse of Scripture that was more encouraging to me, more reassuring than this one. From Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus himself said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I met Jesus in that storm. And I knew that he was beside me. This morning in our continuing study through the fourth gospel, we, we come upon uh, an historical event that, that shaped the disciples of Jesus. It was a reminder to those 12 that God was with them in the midst of their storm. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 6. We're going to begin reading at verse 16. This particular uh, record of this historical account is brief. It's succinct. It's compacted by the Apostle John. Thankfully, we have two other 
eyewitness, or two, two other witnesses, one which is an eyewitness, um, to, uh, to this particular event. And the details are available to us, particularly in Matthew's Gospel that we will also consider this morning. Follow along with me as I read John chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into, into a boat, they, they started across the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because of a strong wind that was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This particular event took place immediately after the feeding of the 5,000 men, plus women and children. So on this busy uh, day of ministry where Jesus was healing uh, people in the crowd, um, he was teaching them. Then he, he fed them miraculously. All he had was, was, was five dinner rolls and, and two pickled fish like, like sardines. And he multiplied them so that everyone in that crowd, maybe 20,000 people, enjoyed a full meal. They were satisfied. Turn with me over to um, Matthew's gospel, and we'll, we'll see how he starts this record. It's instructive. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, he, that is Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. The word translated here in verse 22, made, he, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, could also be, be translated compelled or persuaded or forced. With a firm hand, Jesus made his disciples, caused his disciples, compelled his disciples to get into the boat and get out of there, to go to the other side of the lake. Why did he do that? Why was he forcefully pushing his men into the boat to get out to the other side of the lake. You'll remember last week, um, John's gospel concluded with uh, a recognition that the, 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 uh, the, the members of the crowd wanted to force Jesus to become their king. They were looking for Jesus to be their miracle worker on demand. So, that same very afternoon, evening, if you will, um, when Jesus pushes his men to say, get out of here, go to the other side of the, the lake, was he pushing them away? Was he forcefully causing them to, to, to leave so that they would not be influenced 
by the corrupt thinking of the crowds? Or did Jesus have something else he was looking to teach his men? Matthew chapter 14, verse um, uh, 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. So after a full day of, of ministry, lots of people, lots of conversation, Jesus fed all of these people. He goes down to the side of the lake with his disciples. He got, got them on a boat, pushes them off. He dismisses the crowds. And after this long and busy day, you would think Jesus would relax. Maybe even take a, take a quick nap. Maybe he would even just go to sleep for the evening. No. Alone, he begins to pray. And he labors in prayer we learn later, for hours. What was so urgent? Why did Jesus not take advantage of some downtime while he was alone to relax? Why instead did he labor in yet another way? Well, we find that the, uh, the disciples were about ready to come upon uh, something tremendously demanding. They would find themselves in the middle of a storm. Now, I, I have to describe this to you. Uh, I, I have to give you a, 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 a geological picture. All right, so I'm going to draw a map from your point of view. Here is the Mediterranean Sea on the surface of the earth. The Sea of Galilee is 750, I'm sorry, 700 feet below sea level, 25 miles away from the Mediterranean Sea. Commonly, the cool air from the Mediterranean goes undisturbed and unrestricted eastward and fills the bowl of the surrounding area around the Sea of Galilee. This, this, this causes um, travel from the east side of the lake to the west side of the lake very difficult. Now, among Jesus' disciples, there are six, maybe seven men who were professional fishermen from this lake. This set of circumstances where they had a, a storm that came, um, uh, you know, unannounced and unexpected. They didn't have the winter weather channel back then. They uh, were inundated by this, this uh, wind storm. The, the, half of these disciples had been there many times before. They have endured this. And they strained at the oars, Mark tells us. The, 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 um, 
you need to know that the Sea of Galilee at its widest point is only eight miles across. And we learn from John's Gospel that it was at the fourth watch of the night, that is between 3 and 6 a.m., that they saw something. They saw someone. Well, what, what that means is for six, maybe nine hours, they had been rowing across the lake. Um, Matthew tells us that they were a long ways away from shore. Mark tells us that they were in the middle of the lake. They had been blown off course. And having oared for all night, they had only made it three or four miles across the lake. They were halfway across the lake after a, a laboring all night. I'm reminded of a story that I read this week of two teenage boys who wanted to learn how to sail. And so in their little sailboat, they decided they were going to sail across this body of water. All they were going to, trans, uh, all they were going to, uh, to um, uh, move across was, was a quarter mile, one quarter mile worth of water. But in their inexperience, um, it took them four hours. Now, by their report, when they returned to the place from which they started, wind still blowing, wind now at their back, they were able to traverse that distance of one quarter mile in five minutes. Well, here were the disciples. They were straining at the oar for hours and hours. They were exhausted. They had been with Jesus managing the crowds. They were probably were not as tired as Jesus because they weren't the ones that were preaching on that day. They weren't the ones counseling these people. They weren't the ones healing, but they were there. They were managing the crowds. They were probably very tired by the time they finally were able to sit down and enjoy the bread that was in one of the 12 baskets, one for each of them. And now they were in the boat. Oh, and now there's this storm that came up. And they strained at the oars. They were tired. They were exhausted. They hadn't slept. And then they saw something. Back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, uh, verse 24, the boat was a long distance from land, battered by the waves. The wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, he, that is Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. And the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, these are experienced fishermen. They knew this lake. They knew this lake very well. But they were fearful. Not because of the storm, but because of this apparition, this ghost that they saw walking toward them. 
skeptics of the Bible have tried to explain away this miraculous event and said, oh, well, the the storm caused the disciples to become very disoriented. And even though these eyewitnesses say that they were in the middle of the lake, they were a long ways away from shore, no, they, they were close to the shore, and they were just very disoriented. They thought they were in the middle of the lake, but they weren't. And Jesus wasn't walking on the water. He was walking on the shore, but the waves were blowing so much that they thought that Jesus was walking on the water. Others uh, postulate, uh, no, Jesus was, was on the water, but he was walking on stepping stones that were just underneath the surface that couldn't be seen. It's rubbish. Think with me just, just for a minute. Suppose, suppose, just for a minute, just suppose that, that the one who created the heavens and the earth and the physics that caused, that caused everything to happen as they happen, suppose that that one who created was there in their presence. Is it possible that the one who created the world and the physical laws of this world, is it possible that he might suspend those laws for a period of time? Is that possible? Uh, Yes. If he created it, he could suspend it. It's not without um, uh, uh, possibility. If, if the one who created water in which to swim, if the one who created water, I'm having a hard time making that sentence work. Is it possible that w- that one who created the water also could have created that water on which to walk? Well, we, we haven't experienced that But is it possible? There are four miracles that took place um, on on that early morning um, historical event. The first being that Jesus walked on the water. The waves were still blowing. Did his robe get wet? Were his sandals wet? We don't know. We know that he was on the surface of the water walking toward his men in the boat. Same boat that he had sent them out on. He was walking toward them. They had been blown off course. So the more direct way for Jesus to get to the other side of the lake was to walk in such a manner that they, they, they may not have even seen him. They would have been further apart. But Jesus intentionally walked toward them. In Matthew's gospel, we find that there was a second miracle. Um, Jesus spoke to his men from, from the... Um, Uh, from the water as he was approaching them. And he said, take courage, it is I, 
Do not be afraid. In John's uh, gospel record, he shortens that. He truncates that. And he, he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Um, the, the, um, the Greek phrase that he uses in verse 20, ego emi, translated I am, or more fully, I am that I am, identified Jesus to his men. And in response, here's the second miracle, Peter says this, we read this in Matthew 14. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said to him, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Well, there's the second miracle. Of course, the second miracle did not last very long. Seeing the wind, the next verse instructs us, Peter became frightened and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter, you were walking on the water with me. And then you took your eyes off me. And you're looking at the waves. You're looking at the wind blowing around. And you became concerned about those things. Third miracle. Again in uh, Matthew's Gospel. When, when they, that is Jesus and Peter, got into the boat, the wind stopped. Just like that. Now these were these were experienced fishermen. These are professionals have been here many times, seen these same kind of situations, same kind of circumstances. And all of a sudden, instantly, the wind stopped. Whew. Nothing. They knew this was different. This was unique, and this is how they responded. Verse 33, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Now, these guys uh, had a lot to learn. There are many things that they didn't understand, but they got this right. They understood that this particular event, this series of signs, if you will, told them, this one before them, who was walking on the water toward them. This one is God's son. None other than God in human flesh. John fills us in on a fourth miraculous event that took place that particular morning. In our text, the, uh, the, the 21st verse reads, So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So, so for, for six, eight, nine hours, ten hours, the disciples were 
were rowing against this contrary wind, this wind that was blowing in their face. They were not making much headway. They were blown off course. They were in the middle of the lake. They were not making much progress. Three to four miles is all they had made. And then after Jesus got in the boat with Peter, not only was the wind immediately calm, but they were on the other side of the lake. You are certainly God's son. Now we could, we could stop right here and close up, sing a hymn, and go home. Because what, has, what we have just read is, is the, his, this historical event, which is a sign, a series of signs, if you will, that point to something, a sign points to something. And this one points to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. The Apostle John uh, includes all that he does in, in order to point us in that direction so that we will with certainty and assurance know that Jesus is the Son of God. But we would miss so many things, so many lessons about how, how we need to deal with the storms in our life if we would close the book now. Second page of your notes. I've got five lessons that I've, uh, I've, I've pulled from this particular text for us to focus on. So we're, we're going to go back and, and review some of the same details that, uh, that I've highlighted already. First, I want you to think back to that verse in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 22, that, that um, uh, begins Matthew's eyewitness account of that particular event. It says that, that Jesus made his men get in the boat. He forced them, persuaded them, compelled them. You've got to do this, gentlemen. And they obeyed. Now, now think with me for just a minute. As a result of their obedience, they encountered a very severe storm. Now, maybe, maybe those who were professional fishermen were not fearful for their life. Maybe others, like Matthew, he was a landlover, tax collector before he came to, to, uh, to know Jesus. Uh, uh, he was from the, the northern region in Galilee. He had been close to the sea for a good period of time. Had he ever been on the lake during a storm? We don't know. Maybe he was one of those ones that was fearful for his life. But think about it. If, if they had not obeyed Jesus and instead gone to the other side of the lake by way of walking around, 
The Sea of, Gal the, the sea of Galilee is in circumference only 33 miles. If they had walked and, and disobeyed Jesus, not gotten into the boat, they would have escaped the storm, would have arrived in Capernaum much earlier. They would have not had the, the, the fear of, of seeing a ghost. They would have escaped a number of storms that night. Think about Moses. He was called of God to go to uh, uh, Pharaoh and say, let my entire slave force go. What would have happened had Moses not obeyed God? He would have escaped that storm of 40 years with a group of people that were constantly complaining and murmuring, bitter that Moses had led them to that place. Think about Daniel. He was commanded to not pray as he had been used to praying. He prayed with his window open, facing Jerusalem three times a day on his knees. And if, if he had given into the pressure to, to no longer pray to God in that manner, he could have escaped the lion's den. Think about the Apostle Paul. He was instructed by God to, to go on a series of, of missionary journeys where his life was repeatedly threatened. Indeed, on one occasion, he was stoned to the point where the people responsible thought he was dead. Paul could have had a much more enjoyable, comfortable life had he simply not obeyed God. Here's lesson number one. Obedience to God will bring you storms. Obedience to God will bring storms into your life. What about disobedience? Think about Jonah. A little bit of a storm there. God intentionally brings storms into our life. Why? Because he doesn't like us? Because he is disagreeable toward us? No. Out of his love. Because he seeks to purify us. Second lesson. Think back to when Jesus put them on the boat. 
He forced them. He compelled them. He said, you've got to do this. Did Jesus know that a storm was coming that night? Absolutely. And yet, what did Jesus do? He forced them on the boat. He intentionally made them get on the boat knowing their lives would be in danger and that they would be frightened when they saw him. He intentionally put them in that position. I want you to listen to um, this, this, this statement by uh, Warren Wiersbe, um, well-known Bible teacher, conference speaker, back to the Bible guy. When God puts his own people into the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He knows how long and how much. We may question why he does it to begin with or why he doesn't turn down the heat or even turn it off, but our questions are only evidences of unbelief. Job 23.10 is the answer. He knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Gold does not fear the fire. The furnace can only make the gold purer and brighter. Here's a second lesson. God sends storms to purify us and ready us for heaven. God sends storms to purify us, to wean us from this world and ready us for heaven. Number three. Remember what Jesus did after he pushed the, the, uh, the men onto the boat, sent them away, and then dismissed the crowd? What, what did Jesus do? He went up on the mountain and spent the evening praying. What do you think was first in Jesus' mind, first on his prayer list that evening? I dare say it was his men. He knew what they were facing. He intentionally sent them into what would become a brisk storm. Sometimes we are tempted to think that we are alone in our storms. It's one of the tricks of the evil one. You're all by yourself. You have no one. Nobody cares about you. No, that, that's, that's, that's satanic talk. 
We have one who is on our side, sustaining, stabilizing, supporting us. Listen to Paul's words to the Romans, Romans chapter 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should, Paul writes, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart's knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. While we are in the middle of our storm, Jesus is interceding for us in the mountain. Psalm 139 Wonderfully glorious psalm by King David. He writes this, beginning verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea... Even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. He supports his people. Here's the third lesson. God supports and sustains us through the storms into which he places us. He supports and sustains us through the storms into which he places us. Fourth lesson. The text tells us that, that Jesus did not come to his men until the fourth watch of the night, 3 to 6 a.m. So Jesus allowed his men to thrash around in that boat that was acting like a cork in that windstorm Jesus allowed them to, to slosh around, straining at the oars for hours and hours. Could he not have come at midnight, at 10 p.m., and spared them all of that energy in that sleepless night? Well, sure. Sure he could have done that. But he chose to delay his coming. You remember when Jesus' friend Lazarus died? Just, just, just prior to Jesus' own crucifixion. And when Jesus was informed that Lazarus was ill to the point of death, he reassured his men saying, He's just sleeping. The disciples thought that he was literally just reclining for the evening. Jesus meant it figuratively. No, Lazarus is dead. And, this, and the Scripture tells us that he waited four days 
four long days before he went to Bethany where Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, lived. He lingered for four days. John chapter 11. We read the account of Jesus coming to Bethany. And verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, why did you delay? We sent messenger to, messengers to find you, but you didn't come. If you have Matthew or, or John's gospel open there, chapter 11, look at verse 32. The other sister, Mary, says this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. Jesus, we sent a messenger. Why did you delay? In both events, at least Lazarus' death and in this, in this um, uh, circumstance where the disciples are, were, are, were fighting this, this windstorm, on both occasions, Jesus delayed his coming. Why? Is it possible that he, he delayed his coming intentionally so that they would come to the end of their own proverbial rope? So that any kind of strength, any kind of skill that the disciples might have had on the water would have revealed itself for what it really was. It was empty. They were empty of strength. Their skill was not getting them to the other side of the lake. Is it possible that Jesus intentionally delayed so that they would fully rely on him? Here's the lesson. We will never know Christ deeply until we meet him in the storm. We will never know Christ deeply until we meet him in the storm. Fifth lesson. You remember how Jesus identified himself to the disciples they thought they were seeing a ghost as this, this, this figure, this man-like figure was, was walking toward them, intentionally walking toward them. They saw this figure. They thought it was a ghost. And then Jesus identified himself. He said, it is I. And he used that, that, that phrase that is um, well-known and oft-quoted in John's gospel record, ego emi, I am. It's, it's the, the pronoun I with, w w next to the, to the verb to be. 
I am, or I am that I am. Jesus intentionally uses this kind of language with a direct reference to what Moses heard when he saw the the bush burning but was not burned up. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. So this great God who delivers, this great God who creates, it's the same one who was walking on the water toward them. And Jesus says to them, I am that I am. Or more contextually translated, it's me. Here's the fifth lesson. Jesus is with his people through the storm to protect and provide. Jesus is with his people through the storm to protect and provide. I close this morning with another text of Scripture, a hymn, and a quote. The text of Scripture is from Isaiah, chapter 43. One of the so-called servant songs. I cherish this chapter of Scripture. It begins this way. Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers... They will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. Seventeenth-century woman by the name of Katharina von Schlegel. We, we know nothing of this woman's life, but we do have a hymn 
that she has left behind. Be still, my soul. It reads this way. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, he faithfully will remain. Be still, my soul, your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, your God will undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. Now all mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he lived below. I put this quote by Charles Spurgeon in your notes. The refiner is never very far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the firm confidence, the assurance that we have that no matter what the storm may be, you are there with us. You strengthen, you supply, you support, you intercede for us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Remind us of these truths. Galvanize that reality in our minds. We pray this in the name of the Savior. Amen.